And if you're joining us online, you can do that uh, as well. So. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Good. What else you got? Uh, I don't have anything. You ready for top ten? Yes. Anybody else ready for top ten? Yeah. yeah a couple of you. A couple of you. All right, Danny's in the cage. So uh, we are a bunch of smart alecks around here. I don't, uh, we believe in humor. We love it. I know. We, we love to give each other a bad time. Uh, in fact, we think that the holiest people laugh and laugh a lot, and usually at themselves and their closest friends. And so we have our own Facebook page called Waypoints Top 10, and every week we put a topic up there, and then all you smart Alex make your comments, and then Justin uh, gathers what he thinks are the 10 funniest, and then I veto one or two uh-huh. and then uh-huh. put one in, and, uh, and then we create this Top 10. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's New Year's, so we have a New Year's related top ten. Yes, we do. So, um, every, you know, everybody was was doing their New Year's thing last yes. night. Yes. Yes. Um, but tonight's top ten is the top ten songs not to play at your New Year's Eve party. These are things you don't want to play yeah, at your. These are just party killers, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think we heard any of these at the party we were at last night. No, we didn't. No. Okay. No. We we were good. We, we were, were good. good. We, okay. We, All right. We good. Were good. Good. We were All right. Good. So these are the top ten songs not to play at your New Year's Eve party. Number ten. 1999 by Prince. <laughs> that's, that's over. That's, that's, that's over. That's you know, done. when it came out in the 80s, we were thinking, wow, that's a long that's time long away. Time. And now, well, it's, now it's a long time old, since. So. Yes. <laughs> it's, move on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. It it's old. Fast. Number nine song not to play at your party, Bad Moon Rising by CCR. <laughs> Just that's not the, the moon you want rising. No, no, no not. it's not good. It's not good. It's, yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's a good it's song, but it's, it's not song, really. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Number eight ahead. song you don't want to hear at your New Year's Eve party. This is the song that never ends. Yes, yes it, it goes, goes on, on and on, and my on friend. My yeah. Friends. That little lamb chop coming out. Of <laughs> yeah, little. Okay, we can stop. Okay. Stop. Stop. You, know, you can sing that forever. Forever and ever. We know. <laughs> we know. Stop. Stop. Okay, all right, good, good, good. Number seven song you do not want to hear at your New Year's Eve party. Hit the road, Jack. Just get out. Don't go Just back. Don't, yeah. Get out. I don't want to hear that get one. out. We spent last year together. Get out. We're get done. Out. We're There's a door. No, I'm not spending this See year you with you. All right, I'm out. It's a breakup song. There you go. All right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Number six song that you don't want to play at your New Year's Eve party. That one song that says, Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. That's that's not what that says. That's that's that's. I'm pretty sure that's what. That's no. I'm pretty sure that's not. No, that's not. That's nothing to it. Who's the boss? No, that has nothing to do with that. Oh. Although we did find out that the Michael Jackson song does say vegetables, and we were we were wondering whether or not that's a. That's what we learned. You'll have to ask us later. Yeah, you're vegetable. I didn't think that was the word, but it was. We looked it up. Number five song you don't want to hit here at your New Year's Eve party is On the Road Again. On the Road Again? Yeah. Just on the road again. It's just time oh, to leave. Seriously. Again? So tired of this. All right. Number four song you don't want to hear. The song the band was playing as the Titanic was sinking. <laughs> That's probably. That's a bad, probably it's it's a bad, bad omen at that point. Just It's, it's not good news. Are you like kicking or what? <laughs> no, it's sinking. It's yeah. Sinking. <laughs> okay. The number three song, now just picture you're at the punch, right? And, and you're just... You're at the punch bowl? Yeah, at the punch bowl. Oh, okay. Every party's got a punch bowl. Standard. you got to have they're... a punch bowl, Martha Stewart says. So you've got to have a punch bowl, <laughs> okay. and you're just chilling here, and then uh-huh. all of a sudden, the wedding march comes on. And you're like, uh, um... Okay. Who is it? Who is Wait. it? <laughs> are you, are you nervous? Mine. Is that what you're saying? Is that my wedding? Did I, I forget something? So. Yeah, okay, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, that's you don't want to hear that one. No, no. The number two song you don't want to hear at your New Year's Eve party is Highway to Hell. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be on that highway. It's We're not good. High- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to be on that highway. the song that you do not want to hear at your New Year's Eve party is... It's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> it's the end of the world. But Lenny Bruce is not afraid. But what? Lenny Bruce is not afraid. He's not afraid. No, he's he's not. not afraid. That's the Mayan song from a few yeah. years back. That's it. Okay, all right. Well, uh, why don't we uh, go ahead and pray together, please? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, it is so good just to be able to come into your house and uh, to, to worship you. And so, Father, we thank you for tonight. And God, we pray that you would just come and that you would love on us and that you would meet with us, that this would be truly um, a holy ground tonight as we come and we just interact uh, with you. And so, Father, guide us, teach us, direct us. It's in your precious and holy name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Buckle up and hold on. 
our church, we love God. Make no mistake about that. At our church, we believe in God's radical, unconditional, and unwavering love for us. At our church, we believe that Jesus is God. We also affirm that you may or may not believe that Jesus is God. And we're not asking you to change your belief system before you attend our church. We're simply inviting you on a journey toward Jesus. For years, churches have placed a high priority on Jesus as the get-out-of-hell-free card. At our church, we place the highest priority on Jesus as a live-life-to-the-fullest invitation. At our church, we believe every person has a dream deep inside their hearts, and that God put that dream there, not for our glory, but for His. At our church, we're not concerned with where you've been, but where you're going. At our church, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. It is real. It is living. It is active. We believe that people who don't go to church anywhere are not the enemy. They are real people who need the perfect love that only God can give. And we believe that God gives this love through, of all people, us. At our church, we do not and we will not display a holier-than-thou attitude toward anyone. We are all broken people, but he is putting us back together. And finally, and most importantly, at our church, we believe that Jesus really lived, that he really died on the cross, and that he really rose again on the third day. And we cannot and we will not candy coat or water down that message, ever. Today, you've chosen to sit yourself in the middle of a very safe place to hear a potentially dangerous message. Welcome to our church. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. I am so glad that you guys are here. Happy New Year. I'm glad that uh, everybody had a safe, fun, um, hopefully uh, great night that uh, uh, y'all can remember for a while. And, and uh, just thank you that you're here on Tuesday, starting off this new year, uh, just kicking it off right in in worship and, and just with friends and family and uh, making sure everything's in order. So thank you guys for doing that because um, there is no better place to celebrate the new year than on a Tuesday right here on January 1st right here at, at church, right? So thank you guys for coming. And I want to say thank you for everybody who came uh, last week um, to both our services. We had a Friday baptism um, and worship night um, last week uh, and we had a bunch of, we had baptisms, I think eight baptisms. We had four or five baby dedications, um, and it was just this great opportunity we could get together and, and worship God and support one another in their choices of being baptized and, and dedicating a child to God and, and just coming alongside family and supporting, and, and guys, thank you for doing that, and I know it was an awesome night, um, and, and if you came to Christmas Eve, thank you for that because um, it, was, it was really cool. It was a really great evening to just reflect and, and just, just to um, dwell in that presence of what God ushered into humanity. So thank you guys for coming. Um, but tonight, my friends, we're going to take another step uh, in our journey in the book of Luke. We've called it Breakthrough um, because our journey is about God breaking through into our world, right? It's breaking through into the human story. He's breaking through into our stories, Right? And that's why we've called it Breakthrough. And we've chosen as our guide uh, the book of Luke because Luke's gospel is a little different. Luke is a historian. So he, he has gathered eyewitness accounts. He's gone, he's beat the pavement, right? And he's knocked on doors and he's written down all these stories. And he wrote them down for us. And this is so huge because he, he's, he's done the work for us that, that he's making sure that this book just isn't a spiritual book, right? It's not a collection of, of, of spiritual writings, but it's a collection of actual events, right? This is a historical book that we are reading from tonight. The Bible is true. It's historical. It really happened. And Luke helps point that out. He helps us to see that Jesus was a real person. He did real things. He lived in a real world, right? And he had real relationships and real encounters with people. So we've, we're using Luke, Right, and tonight is no different. We've met a couple weeks ago, right? We read in Luke, and then we took a little break. We had our worship uh, night and some Christmas Eve stuff. So it's been a couple weeks, so I want to give you guys a refresher of the last time we were in Luke. Um, but Jesus healed a woman, and when he healed this woman, he made all of his critics a little upset, right? And there's nothing new there. Jesus made his critics upset a lot. It, it just was the thing Jesus did. He lived his life in a way that he didn't compromise, and his critics didn't really like that. Um, so Jesus is always making people upset, but this time we found something more important than Jesus making people upset. 
Instead, we see what this response was from the woman, right? She's doubled over in pain, and then she is healed. Now, it happens to be on the Sabbath, and that's why his critics are upset. But she was burdened for a long time with physical pain, and Jesus set her free, and her response is what was amazing. See, uh, her gratitude was so contagious that it just filled the entire community. Joy spread all over, right? Gratitude is contagious. And in our passage in Luke, we're going to be in chapter 13 right after that story, all right? So I kind of want, want to tell you exactly where we're going to be at. If you have your own Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 13, verse 22, all right? Uh, we're going to pick it up there. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. We got a couple Bibles sitting at the table. They're the blue ones. You're going to be on page 626, right? So that, that'll kind of help you find that area. Um, if you don't have, uh, if there's not enough Bibles or you're just a smartphone kind of person, you can pull out your smartphone, download the Version app, and then follow these three easy steps, and you'll find uh, the program, you'll find the scripture, you'll find everything you need right there on your smartphone. Some people just like those a little better than a book, but so we give you that option as well. Um, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 13. See, the gratitude is so contagious that this woman's joy spread all over the community. It was contagious. It just went like wildfire. And we see that her joy spread to everybody else. And we get to be a part of this community, right? Just the way God designed us. We encounter and connect with each other filled with such joy. And when somebody's having a bad day, if we just like hang out with somebody who's just constantly smiling, we'll, we'll start to warm up, right? We might have that moment like, What's, why are you so happy? But their joy is so contagious that we might find ourselves warming up to that joy, right? Because joy is just, it's, it's contagious. We're filled with joy, not because something God did for us necessarily, but maybe he did something for somebody else, and we're sharing in that, in that moment. See, being in a community allows us to share our joy, and in turn, God uses others to share joy with us. So when we can't seem to find the joy on our own, because life is just not going the way we expect it, joy still finds a way. And that's what we really camped on on Christmas Eve, is joy still finds a way. Joy still enters into the human existence, into the human story, and still has this way of being contagious. Joy was born on that night, and that's what we reflected on. And that's the great thing about community, is that we get to share in that. We get to experience this joy. Well, guys, my, we're going to continue our journey through the book. We're going to be, like I said, in chapter 13. Um, so um, before we get going, I just want to make sure that everybody uh, has a chance to silence the cell phones um, because we're going to wrestle with some, some stuff tonight that's going to be maybe a little tough, maybe a little deep. And one of the reasons we wrestle verse by verse is, is for reasons like this tonight is so we let the Holy Spirit just guide our conversation right? We allow him to just guide what we're going to talk about because God's concerned with our spiritual growth. And sometimes we might read a passage and we're like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll think about that later, right? We kind of just push it aside. It's still God, but, but we don't really want to think about that. But tonight we're going to go deep. We're going to place our faith in him and we're, we're going to go deep because the deeper we go, the more we learn of his glory and the wonders of how he just loves humanity. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, but silence those cell phones, and I got just one more question for you. Who's ready to dive in? Yeah. Awesome. Before we do that, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll pick it up in chapter 13. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that uh, you've just ordained this moment where we could read the story that uh, was recorded for us by Luke, um, and that he made sure that all these details are accurate, and all these details were backed up by eyewitnesses. And God, we just place our trust and our faith in you, that you would guide our conversation. Holy Spirit, would you fill this room up and just open our eyes and our ears so we can hear and see more of you. God, we just can't wait to see what you got for us, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, chapter 13, verse 22, we jump in and it says this, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know 
you or where you came from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for you will see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out and people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. All right, that's where we're going to stop. Like I said, it's going to be some deep stuff, right? There's a lot there to chew on. Jesus has some pretty interesting things to say, doesn't he? he? He's just asked one simple question, and then he like gives a whole sermon. You're like, whoa, Jesus, you've just been carrying that around? He just asked one simple question. You've been planning this whole sermon. And sometimes what he says doesn't always make us feel comfortable, right? It's sometimes what he says doesn't always make us feel great, doesn't put the smile. It makes us kind of swirm, squirm to hear him talk like this. But to set the picture, let's, let's remember what he's doing. Jesus is traveling, and he's been all over the region, right? And he's been in everywhere except Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem said, you got to go. They didn't really accept him there. So he went to the surrounding villages around the Sea of Galilee, and he's just been teaching, and he's just been going from town to town, village to village. And he's got his 12, but also he's got at least 72, probably more than that at this point, followers that are just kind of going with him in a caravan, right? And, and he's just been walking all the while towards Jerusalem, right? So we got a lot of story left in Luke. We, we're only in chapter 13 tonight, but we got a lot of story left. And we keep seeing these hints that he's still walking towards Jerusalem. He's still walking towards Jerusalem, ultimately to the cross. That's where his goal is set on. So they're walking. He's got a whole, whole herd of people with him. And somebody asks one simple question. Jesus, how many people are going to be saved? Because we've been going from town to town, village to village, and we've been doing these things. We've been ministering. We've been healing the sick. We've been teaching the good news. You've been teaching people. You've been sitting with people and forgiving sins. And sometimes we experience the whole town explodes and comes to you. And sometimes the whole village says, hey, you need to get out of here. We don't like you. How long are we going to do this? How many people are going to be saved? Right? It's a simple question. And the reason I know it's simple is because it's real, it's honest, and it's relevant. It's because I know all those things is, I know we've asked that question. I've asked that question. I know a lot of people here tonight have asked that question. How many people are going to be saved, God? Right? Your heart just breaks to see what, what's going on in the world, and you're just wondering, God, why don't you just rescue everybody? Why is, wh how many people are actually going to be saved? Because I'm seeing that some are turning away, and I'm seeing that some are following you, and it's just, it's just breaking my heart. It's something we ponder from time to time, and that's how I know that this is a real and relevant question. But the reality is, God, in his answer, shows us that he does not force his will or plan upon us. Right In Jesus' little speech there, nowhere did it say that you will, everyone will bow to me. Right? He, he doesn't force, he invites. He invites humanity to be a part of it. He is a patient God. Right? God is a simple gentleman. He doesn't force us to have a relationship with him. He desires us to have one, but God gives people a choice to have this relationship with him. He doesn't force it, he gives us a choice. To accept him or not, to be a part of his kingdom or not, right? To ultimately choose God or, or not. He leaves that up to the individual. He leaves that up to us. And this choice is not only, does not only guide our lives and how we react to situations, but it determines our eternal destination, spiritually speaking, right? There's a lot on writing on this choice. It determines where we're going to live for eternity, and for those of us who made this choice already in our lives, no one made us do it, right? No one forced us, no one coerced us, no one bought us, no one, no one bribed us, right? We had to come by it on our own. We had to ask the questions. We had to wrestle with it. We had to listen to sometimes what we thought was foolish, but when we really tested it and we really checked it with Scripture and we really meditated and prayed to God about it, we found that, hey, there's some wisdom here. Right? And then we, we made the decision. Because God loves searching. 
He loves it when we search and when we test what he says and when we really dig in to see if it fits in our life. And when we search, God's just sitting there waiting, waiting patiently, knowing that we will find the answer that, that, that his Holy Spirit is working in our life and he is completely at peace. He didn't force us to make that decision. He desires for us to come by it on our own, right? And, and for those of us that made that decision, we came by that on our own. And through that decision, two things happened, right? There's some big churchy words. Two things happened after we made that decision. The first thing is justification. The second one is sanctification. And I know those are some big words. You don't hear them all the time. You might hear them, you know, down south, and they get really, they get into it, justified, right? But uh, those are big words. And we're going to unpack them a little bit because both of those things happen to us right when we make that decision. See, the first one, justification, is a legal term. It's used when a person has been declared innocent from all wrongdoing, right? It's, it's you've been set free. The not guilty verdict is what this would be. They've been relieved of all responsibilities, right? So the word justification simply means proven to be righteous and declared innocent. You're free. The debt has been paid. You don't owe anything to society. You don't owe anything to the kingdom, right? You're free. You're innocent. You've been declared innocent. Only this justification just just doesn't keep us out of an earthly jail sentence. It has eternal implications. When we made that decision, see, we, we acknowledge that our sin, and sin is simply missing the mark, right? Picture a bullseye, and you're shooting the arrow, and you keep missing the target altogether. That's sin, right? And, and God has to deal with that sin. He is holy, and he is, he is righteous. So he has to deal with it. He has to look upon it, and he has to judge it. And when we make the decision that Jesus died for my sin, that sin has been forgiven through his blood, and then God looks down on us and says, you're innocent. All I see is my son's blood, and he sacrificed himself for you. So you're not guilty. And through the relationship with Jesus, our lives have been rescued from that guilty verdict. And a new life was born, right? And that leads into the second word, this new life that we've been given, right? We've been given the opportunity to be justified in God's sight. And God has declared us innocent because we chose to place our faith in Jesus. And we have a relationship with him. That's, that's simple, right? It sounds so simple. It's kind of a big deal, right? Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Romans. He says this, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And through this process, the barrier between us and God has been removed, giving us freedom to enter into this kingdom, God's kingdom, which leads us to that second term, sanctification, right? It's another big churchy word, but there's a lot to it. See, sanctification means two things. First, to be set apart, right? And second, to be holy. Two things, to be set apart and then to be holy, When we choose to place our faith in Jesus, something happens. Not only do we surrender our wants and desires and choose to follow God's wants and desires, but we get a helper that comes alongside us, right? That's that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down and helps us live through this, this life of God, right? What does it look like? The Holy Spirit lives with us and guides us, and that's what sets us apart. Right? So God rescues us. He declares us innocent. And now that we're innocent, he says, okay, now you're over here. You get to do something. You have a pl- I have a plan for you now. You have a purpose in my kingdom. You've been made innocent, so I got a plan for you. So he sets us apart. And that's, that, that way of setting us apart, then he begins to make us holy. 
Now we're, now we're free. Now we're, now we're holy. Now we can enter into God's kingdom, right? We can enter into the throne room and just say, hey, Dad, I got some stuff I need to talk to you about, right? That's, that's what happens when we make, make this relationship a priority. The Holy Spirit sets us apart and allows us to enter into God's kingdom. And now we have a purpose. So both these terms happen right when someone starts their journey with Jesus, happens right there when that moment when when they decide I'm following him and I'm going to place my trust in him and God is just waiting for that person to make their decision he's he's very patient see our God has waited for an eternity to have a relationship with you he's patient he's a gentleman and I love that about him he's waited for all time for this moment we're the ones that are kind of in a hurry, but God's just there, just relax. He knows how it's going to play out, and he's just waiting. And this is the meat, the meat and potatoes behind the question that Jesus was asked, right? Right? How many people are going to be saved? That's why his response is so deep. He says that the door to heaven is narrow. It's, it's not very big, Right? We may have also heard it another way in Matthew's account of Jesus' life. He says this, Jesus is speaking now. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell, right, now you got, there's that ACDC song, is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. The gate to heaven is narrow, right? Many people are looking for it, but only few people find it. And many people choose the highway to hell, right? It's a good rock song, but a bad life choice, right? right? But tonight, I got one more reference for you. We're going to just knock on heaven's door for tonight. Um, and depending on your age, you either have Bob Dylan in your head right now or some Guns N' Roses. Both are good. Both are good. Both are equally good representations of that song. Now you're going to be thinking about that. But the point is, there's only one way to experience this justification. There's only one way to experience this sanctification. And for the larger part that we can understand in our lives, there's only one way to experience this salvation. And that's through Jesus. In John's telling of Jesus' life, we see that Jesus calls himself the gate. Right? We just saw in, in, our, in our passage in Luke that the door to heaven is narrow. And then when we look at Jesus' words in Matthew, same time, different translation, but it's the same word. He says, the gateway to heaven is narrow. And in fact, I am the gateway. But here's, here's John's account. This is Jesus speaking in John. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. So Jesus is, is teaching his disciples right here, and he's saying that I am the gate, right? And, and we're the sheep in this metaphor, in this analogy. You and I are the sheep. And what would happen in Jesus' day when a shepherd was taking care of the sheep is they would come into a sheep fold, right? It'd be a stone wall that would be set up about yay high, and it would just fence off an area that the sheep could come in and gather, right, and be safe keeping out wolves and predators and everything else, keeping the sheep in, keeping bad things out, right? And then there'd be one way into the sheepfold and one way out. So, and that would only be as wide as, what? A sheep, right? You don't want a whole herd of sheep walking out. You want to make sure they go in one at a time so that way they can come out one at a time so it's easier to keep them in, right? And then since it's only about this wide, the shepherd would stand in that opening with his staff protecting from predators out that might want to come into the sheepfold to get snacks, right? And keep sh make sure that the sheep are, it, are just happy in the sheepfold. So the shepherd would become the door to the sheepfold. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I am the gate. I am the way in. I'm the way out. This is the doorway. I'm the door. So if you want to come in here, you got to know me. You got to know me. And that's what he's saying here. What Jesus is teaching here is big. The word Jesus uses for gate is the same Greek word he used in our passage in Luke for door. It's the same word. See, the Greek word for door is pile, and it is also translated as gate. It's the same thing, door, gate, it's the same, same word. 
So we get this image that Jesus stands as the door or the gate at the entrance. And he's making sure everybody who comes in knows him. But, but he's just a much cooler version of the nightclub bouncer, right? That we kind of get this image that he's just, he's the bouncer like, hey, nope, you're not in, you're out. I don't know you, you're out. And, and he, you, you try to pull out your counterfeit ID, right? You're like, no, no, this is me. No, I'm, no. in fact, did you see the 20 that I, maybe, maybe, okay. I got to go is what he's saying, right? So he, he, doesn't, he doesn't let anybody in unless you know him. The price of admission is whether you know him or not. No, please don't misunderstand my metaphor about the nightclub bouncer, right? It definitely has some holes in it. It's not perfect. But we need to realize what he's doing here. Jesus is standing at the door, and the only way into the kingdom of heaven is through him. Now, understanding a verse like that in John gives us more when we see Jesus say this later on in John. We see this in chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, a verse like this makes sense. No one can come to the Father except through this doorway, this gate right here. I'm the way. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? That's, Jesus goes on to say that, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You, if you have a relationship with me, then you have a relationship with God. But something exists in our culture that kind of kind of twists it a little bit, right? And, and you may have heard the statement, maybe somewhere in your life, um, maybe somewhere in your life you've said this, right? But the statement is this, that all religions just point to God, right? Everything, all roads lead to God. All roads lead to heaven. And, and I love you too much to let that statement have any purpose in your life because it's just a lie. It doesn't, that, 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 that's not right. That's not correct. See, it's, it's a lie that the enemy tells us to keep us from living a life God has called us to live, a life full of grace, but balanced with truth. If we live without the truth, then the grace does not bring the joy that is intended to bring. And when we get a sense of spiritual entitlement when it comes to that experience, right, if we just live with all grace, we become entitled to more grace. And then the truth doesn't really mean anything. But the truth is, Jesus is the only way to God. The forgiveness and salvation that Jesus brings is the only way to experience the eternal experience of the glory of God's kingdom. It's that simple. That's the line God draws. And he has to draw that line. And I know we might struggle with that. We might feel that this is very exclusive. How could he draw that line and cut everybody off? And you're right, it's very exclusive. You're absolutely right. God is very consistent when it comes to dealing with sin and eternity. And in fact, he needs to be when it comes to something so foundational, something so large in our spiritual journey, because everything is built on that premise. Everything is built on that premise that we have been saved. We have, we've experienced salvation through this, and, and through that salvation, we get to experience eternal life. And he holds a lot of souls in his hands. And since I'm one of them, I would love for him to keep balance. And it's okay if he draws a line. And if all roads did lead to God, why don't other world religions teach something similar? Right? Why don't we hear that, that all roads lead to Buddha or Allah or whatever? Why don't other religions also keep that? So even though heaven is exclusive, I want to, I want to give you where the grace is on this statement. The invitation to join the party is not exclusive. God opens up the gospel to everyone, not just a select few. The gospel is open to everyone to have a relationship with him. He doesn't have a chosen few that he just says, oh, well, you were born in that family so you can come in, or you are born in this part of the world that you can come in. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. In fact, at the end of the story, at the end of uh, our our. Uh, our story in the grand scheme of our spiritual journey. We see this in Revelation, right? This is the celebration. This is the victory. And John records this. He says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne 
and from the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. And you know, in this passage in Revelation, it says, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe. Do you know what the word every means in the Greek? Every. Yeah, it means everyone. Everyone, every way you could slice humanity is represented in that throne room. Every way you could slice it. Every tribe means no matter your race, your color, your language, the time, the place you were born, it does not matter. The invitation is open to you. God does not mince words. He doesn't break people off. He makes sure everybody is invited. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter the life you're living now. The invitation is yours. The path to heaven is exclusive through Jesus. But the invitation to join the journey with Jesus is inclusive. Everybody. Doesn't matter. Everybody. It's a mosaic. Bring everyone. God would love to bring everyone along. That's why Jesus follows up this line with encouraging us to work hard, right? Because he knows that this line is, is kind of a sticky line. And he knows that this exclusivity might cause us to stumble. But, but he follows it up with saying, work hard. I know many of you will sit out with intentions to, to live a life for me. But I know that that is even devices, divisive in and it of itself. Because Jesus knows he's controversial. Jesus is very controversial, if you, if you didn't know that. He just is. He, he has a way of dividing people and kind of making some of us feel uncomfortable. That's just who he is, which is why he says few will make it through the door. And this breaks his heart. He knows he brings the truth, and he, he knows that that might push some people away. And that breaks his heart. But he's convicted to do it. Let's look at the next few verses. We'll pick it up in verse 31. Jesus is, or the story is, continues this. At that time, some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must proceed on my way, for it wouldn't do a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. That's where we're going to stop right there, because we might read that and we see, well, the Pharisees, they're against him. They're the ones that want to kill Jesus, right? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a, quite a few that want to kill Jesus, absolutely. But remember, there's also a few that believe him. There's also a few, a small remnant that say, yeah, he is the Son of God. And I believe that that's who we're seeing here, that these few Pharisees, some Pharisees, right, in our passage, go to Jesus and say, you got to get out of here. What you're teaching is going to get you killed. And he says, cool, that's kind of what I'm here for, right? Because today, tomorrow, I'm going to keep healing people. I'm going to keep casting out demons. And the third day, I'm going to accomplish my purpose. That's a foreshadowing of what he's going to be doing, right? And then he continues to foreshadow and says, that it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem, right? I will be in Jerusalem when I'm nailed to that cross. See, these Pharisees just want to save him. They believe Jesus when he says he will accomplish his purpose, that, that he will die and he will resurrect from the dead. These Pharisees believe that. Because without the resurrection, Jesus' death is meaningless, right? If he just simply died, then well, he, he died. What, what good is that? People, I mean, good people die every day. But this one beat death. He conquered the kingdom of death and brought in for us the kingdom of heaven, inviting us to join in on this kingdom. See, Jesus' defining moment is not only the cross, but also the resurrection. That's just part of it. And it breaks his heart that not everybody gets to be involved in it. And he picks this up in verse 34. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned, and you will never see me again until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
That's where we're going to stop tonight. But did you see Jesus' heart there? He longs to shelter everyone from the consequences of life, from the consequences of our choices. Much like a mother hen brings in her chicks and shelters under the wings from the elements, right? From the rain, from the freezing temperatures. Bring them in close. It breaks his heart. He wants, he has that same feeling. And, and I know there's, I'm a parent and I know there's some parents in here and I know parents can track with this. I know parents can track with this because I have done it too. Um, we, we love our kids so much, right? We just love them. We, we, we encourage them. We, we, we want them to see them succeed. And then, um, but sometimes they make mistakes, right? And parents, how hard is it to not rush in and save our kids from those mistakes? It's hard. It's hard. I got four daughters, right? It's very hard. But sometimes the mistake is how they learn. If we shelter them from every single mistake and every time they, they stumble, they're not going to learn how to walk, right? They're not going to learn that, well, okay, well, that was a bad decision. I can't save them from everything. And Jesus is sitting here watching his kids do the same thing. I can't watch my kids struggle so hard, but I have to because they will learn through it. They will become better people. See, rescuing them will not have the same impact as just falling and stumbling does, right? We learn when we fall and stumble and make those mistakes. Jesus knows that it's not worth trading the temporary comfort for permanent security of salvation. He knows that. So he's not going to rush in and say, I, I just protect you. No, I'm going to let you make your choice. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for you to make the choice to come to a relationship with me. Jesus came to rescue us from an eternity of pain, not just a temporary discomfort, right? But where I want to focus tonight is, is, um, is the fact that the way to heaven is narrow. It's, it's kind of small, that to get there, we need more than just having the intention on going to heaven, right? In intention. Intentions are, are all over. We want to go to heaven, but do we have a life that reflects that intention, right? Jesus is telling us that the way to the eternal life is hard. It's not easy. It's going to be some ups. It's going to be some downs. It's going to be some, some moments where God's kind of pressing on you. Hey, you, you need to grow over here. What are you doing with that? You need to lay that down and follow me. So do our lives reflect that goal, that intention? And I think there's a difference between intention and making a firm decision, right? Being sold out for this decision. You see, we can all finish this one phrase. I know we can uh, because I've heard it a lot. The path to hell is paved with what? Good intentions, right? The path to hell is full of good intentions, right? It's good intentions. Well, everyone has good intentions to do the right thing, but something separates good intentions from a firm decision, doesn't it? See, intentions don't cost us anything. We can all do um, right, and, and we can all write down our New Year's resolutions. We can, we can write them on sticky notes. We can put them in a journal. We can tape them on our bathroom mirror. We can place them all over the place. And I know that's the time of year when we're thinking about our New Year's resolutions is January 1st, right? I mean, this is day one. You've set these resolutions. This is the day that you're just like, okay, starting today, we're going to do it. But something separates an intention from a firm decision. And New Year's resolutions happen all over the time, all over the place. But if we don't take the necessary steps to make the change, then are we going to follow through with that New Year's resolution? No, no, right? How many, is the gym full today? Not really. It's probably half full. I mean, it's, it's just not that way. See, there. I, I have some stats from you from 2018, some New Year's resolutions set in 2018. It was um, uh, Americans that were polled um, of their resolutions. And now you're going to go through this list because somebody asked me, well, there's more, the, all, everything adds up to more than 100%. Well, because people can set more than one New Year's resolution. So these are just the top eight New Year's resolutions. And some of them overlap, okay? So um, of Americans polled, in 2018, 53% of them wanted to save more money. 45% wanted to lose weight. 24% wanted to travel more. 23% wanted to read more books. 
22% wanted to learn a new skill or hobby. 21% wanted to buy a house. 16% wanted to quit smoking. And 15% wanted to find love. Now, all of those are different intentions, right? That breaks down in a lot of different categories. And they're from all over the board, right? Some of them are external. Some of them are internal, right? From learning a new skill and a new hobby to finding love, right? Everything is different on this. But you know what they all have in common? Only 8%, small 8% of people who set those goals followed through with those goals. 8% of the people with those intentions for 2018 actually did it. So I don't show you that list to say, look, these things are bad. They're not, you know, they're just unattainable. No, what I'm telling you is that all of those things, that it does not matter, right? It does not matter what intention you have. If you don't work for it, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. See, intentions are a desire to do something that is not backed up by action. Well, I have the intention on doing that, but eh, my couch is way more comfier than a treadmill. And that is hands down the truth. I heard some amen. I saw some amens like, yep, that's true. Right? Because it's, it's a lot of hard work to go and do that. It's a lot of hard work. So don't get me wrong. Setting a goal for the new year is great. It's awesome. Set goals. Make decisions, not intentions, but set goals. See, I, I set out to read the Bible from cover to cover through the course of 2018. Um, I've read the Bible, but I've never done it in one calendar year from beginning to end. Um, and I can say that I did it. I, it was not easy. There were days that I skipped that life happened, that I didn't make the time. I can't say that I was, you know, I, I didn't have the time. I just didn't make the time on some days. So I had days where I caught up, right? I had to buckle down and say, well, I, I'm behind, so I need to catch up. And I can say that I did it. And it wasn't easy, right? But I did it. I made the decision. See, decisions are rooted they're built on something strong, a strong foundation. A decision can stand the test of time because decisions happen when you pair desire with action. It's when you go, okay, it's time to get up, time to get moving. I got to do something on making this goal happen by making this relationship with Jesus happen. Do you have to protect this decision? Yep, you sure do. Are you going to make choices that you otherwise would have done something different in order to keep your goal? Yeah. Yeah, you, you have to protect that goal, that decision. That's the point. A decision costs you something. A relationship with Jesus costs us something, doesn't it? I lay my wants and desires down to follow his wants and desires. It costs me something. Keeping a decision and making it is hard, just like Jesus said. Decisions are hard because for every yes we say, we're also saying no to something else. And every time we say no to something, we're saying yes to something entirely different. So when we say yes to a life with Jesus, we're saying no to everything that is not from Jesus. That's what that looks like. That's what making a firm decision looks like. So let me close with this. Making this coming year a strong one, all right? making a decision in your faith to do what it takes for you to rely more and more on God. I want you to follow where he is leading you and your family. I want you to make the decision to listen more closely in those small, quiet moments with him, to give you opportunities to have those small, quiet moments, to have a decision to, to allow God to give, uh, to, to, to allow yourself to give God a chance to reveal himself through the Bible, through prayer, through music, through a quiet moment with him. Make the tough decisions that God is calling you to make. But maybe it's not being afraid to live your life in such a way that is contagious, right? And makes others want to follow Jesus. Or maybe it's inviting that friend to church that you've been intending to invite. You just haven't gotten around to it, right? Maybe it's just doing it. Maybe it's forgiving that person and releasing yourself and them from the pain of unforgiveness. Whatever it is, make the decision to do it and put action behind it. Do the hard thing 
Because the right thing is sometimes the hard thing. Most likely, the right thing is the hard thing to do. See, doing hard things at the right time will always lead to a good life. Will always lead to a good life. So, my friends, believe in the person God is creating within you to be. Follow him. Protect the path you are on with decisions, not intentions. And when you lose sight in the next year, I want you to know this. I believe you can do everything God is calling you to do. I believe you can be everything God has called you to be, and you can live the life God has called you to live. So instead of saying 2018 sucked, because if you said 2018 sucked, you probably said 2017 sucked, and then you probably said 2016 sucked, right? They all sucked. So let's just say this. 2019 is what you make of it. Don't say, I hope it's a good year, because right there you've already lost the battle. 2019 is a year. It's going to have good things and it's going to have bad things. But all in all, God is going to be doing great things in your life in 2019. Decisions, not intentions, determine the path you will chart in 2019. So what we like to do at this point in the evening is pause my part of the conversation, right? And, and I'm going to kick it to you guys in your small groups. Um, we like to pick it up in our small groups um, because it, God's been laying stuff on your heart, and you need to wrestle with this too. So what we like to do is we like to get in groups of four, five, or six um, and just wrestle through some questions. Um, I'm going to put the questions up here right now and kind of guide you through them. First one is this. What is one decision God is leading you to make this next year? What is it? And second, how can you put action behind it to keep it from becoming a good intention? All right, so people down here, gather up into groups. If you see somebody sitting off by themselves, invite them into your conversation, wrestle with these. We'll meet back in a few minutes and wrap it up. Balcony, um, if you, you, there's a pair of you up there? Okay, you guys got enough to have a conversation. All right, we'll see you in a couple minutes. Go for it.